I might need that later. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good to be back, as Ollie said at the start. Um, myself, Brent, and Ollie were not here last week. We were in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, at a conference, uh, hearing some great preaching from people like Francis Chan, Sam Storms, John Piper, uh, others as well, really encouraging stuff. But uh, I understand that you had a great time here uh, as well. And uh, Joe was preaching here on the Holy Spirit, and it was a great time. Joe and Gary and Bob today are in Wolfville at the church there, so please do pray for them uh, as they are there and uh, with the church preaching and uh, teaching and bringing input to them as well. So today we're going to get back into Mark's gospel. Uh, we've been in Mark for quite some time now, and we're up to chapter 9, and we're going to read from verse uh, 14 of chapter 9. So if you have a Bible with you, you may want to turn to that, and I'll put them up on the screen as well. I'll try and keep up. I've not got a TV in front of me today, so I don't know where we're at. So uh, I'll try and keep, and keep up and read at the same time. So here we go, Mark chapter 9 from verse 14, and we'll read through to verse 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the, dis and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He said. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they, <laughs> so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything's possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him Again, the boy shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Okay, so... Peter, James, and John, up until this point, have just been up the mountain. They've seen Jesus get transfigured or transformed uh, so that his glory is revealed to them. And uh, suddenly they don't see the ordinary-looking man, Jesus, as, he, as they've been going around with him. But they see a taste of Jesus. They see a taste of the third person of the Godhead in his glory. And uh, we'll all see that when he returns in power. 
amazing uh, time up the mountain with Jesus. But as they get down the mountain, they see the nine other disciples that they've left behind, and there's a crowd surrounding them, and they were arguing with the teachers of the law. And as soon as um, they all see Jesus, they run up to him, and they say, uh, and they're amazed at, at him, and he's there. And Jesus says, hey, well, what were you arguing with the teachers of the law about? What, what's been going on? Um, clearly, something's happened. At this point, the disciples are not rushing to answer the questions. Um, They're uh, possibly a little embarrassed. It's not really looking too good on them, uh, what's happened. But the story does come out. A man from the crowd tells Jesus what's been going on. And he's a man who's been suffering. Uh, uh, he's got a son who's been suffering fits for many years, uh, really uh, very early on in his life since birth. He, epilepsy, according to some translations. Really, it's describing epileptic fits. He can't speak. He gets thrown to the ground. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. And behind this epilepsy is an evil spirit which needs driving out. Now, it's, it's just probably important for me to say and point out, not everyone who has epilepsy necessarily has an evil spirit controlling them. We, we don't want to just give that impression and that, oh, they're epileptic, they must have a demon. And, and that. But actually, sometimes sickness is caused by uh, the demonic, by things going on inside them. And Jesus, uh, and even the man himself, spots that this is the case. Anyway, the man comes in desperation to Jesus. He's come to Jesus to ask for his help. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard he delivers people from these kind of things. He's heard he heals people. So he, he makes his way to where Jesus, uh, he's heard Jesus is, but Jesus isn't there. Jesus isn't there. He's up the mountain with Peter, James, and John. But his other disciples were there, so the man asks them and says, look, can you help? You've been with Jesus. You've hung around him. You've seen him uh, do these things. Can you help? And the disciples say, yeah, sure, we can help. We can deal with this situation. So they try and drive out the spirit. But, it, but it's ineffective. It doesn't happen. Nothing happens. I mean, how discouraging must this have been for the man and for the boy himself and also for the disciples? It's kind of discouraging all around. Uh, and it's the opportunity that the teachers of the law would have been waiting for. They would have been waiting to start to discredit Jesus, to discredit his disciples. You know, oh, look, they can't even do anything. Their leader's gone away, and, and they're powerless. They're ineffective. You don't want to be following this Jesus, they would have been saying to the crowd. And so an argument starts up between them. But as we're going to see later on, true faith isn't put off. True faith isn't deterred by the weakness of Jesus' followers. Sometimes uh, Jesus' followers can be weak, but there's real power in God. There's genuine power in God. God is real, and there's real power in the name of Jesus. So Jesus hears this story of what's gone on, and he's pretty exasperated. He's like, oh, man, how long am I going to have to put up with all this faithlessness and unbelief? And, you know, the crowd will have heard and seen many miracles, but because one boy is not healed, the atmosphere is quickly turned to one of unbelief. Oh, not going to happen. But we can find that too in our lives as well. We can know of Jesus's power in our life. We can have experienced Jesus's power and, uh, and, and love in our lives, but, but 
suddenly we can face a difficulty and it seems, well, God's not answering. Where is God in this situation? I, th- I, I, came, I came in faith. I came to Jesus. He wasn't even there. I tried this. It didn't work. Well, and we can suddenly get into this unbelieving despair. And God doesn't seem to answer. And, and we can easily begin to doubt. We can easily begin to walk away. Last week, as I said, myself, Grant, and Ollie, we were in Minneapolis. We were there for a conference, um, but we ended up going to the Minnesota Vikings game on the Sunday, and uh, we managed to get into the stadium. Uh, that's, quite, that's a different story in and of itself. Um, but we were, in, we were in the stadium, and uh, the home team, if you watch the game, you will know, the home team, they were up for most of the game, and then they were, they were, they were down with just 10 seconds to go, 10 seconds to go, and they were well back in their own half. And uh, it was looking pretty hopeless. The commentator on the, uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the TV feed said, well, they just need a Minnesota miracle right now. That's what they need, a Minnesota miracle. And, and we were there at the stadium, and people, I mean, the stadium had been wild, but at this point, it was just everyone had their heads down. It was like, well, that's it. They've, they've blown it. They're not going to win the game. People around us were putting on their coats. People were leaving. There was a number of people all around us who left uh, the stadium. It seemed like all hope had gone. But there was an amazing turnaround right at the end of the game. You know, a throw, missed tackle. He runs down, no seconds on the clock, scores the winning touchdown. They win the game. The crowd went wild. I mean, that was just a football game. And it looked hopeless. But, But even then... You can never give up hope at the end. Brent was hilarious. Brent was getting a, guy, a, little, a young guy in front of him who'd put his coat and he's going, stop, don't ever give up believing. He was like preaching to him. <laughs> don't put your jacket on. <laughs> it, was, it was so good. <laughs> I should have got the video of that. That was, that was, that was a cool moment. <laughs> that was a football game. We come to the almighty God. We come to Almighty God who created the universe out of nothing. Like, is anything too difficult for him? If it is in God's will, nothing can stand in his way. We've been singing it all morning, actually. It's amazing. The songs have all been singing these truths. Jesus is encouraging us that if we come up against a seeming impossibility, something that just seems impossible, we can still believe in him. We don't have to give up because the power of God is far greater. The power of God is greater than any mountain that would be before us. Unbelief is the believing that the power of the difficulty before us, the power of the mountain before us, is greater than the power of God. That's what unbelief is. It's saying, well, this difficulty is too much for God. In the equivalent passage to this in Matthew, there's Matthew and Luke both give the same account, and they both give slightly different details to what happened. But in the equivalent passage in Matthew 17, uh, let's see if we can find this, Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. That's when the disciples said, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus is saying, look, if you've got faith, even as small as a mustard seed, whatever mountain is before you, whatever obstacle is before you, you can say, move from here to there, and it will move. Don't just assume that because there's a mountain in your way, this can't be God's will. 
We, we can think that sometimes, can't we? We can think, oh, well, there's a, I, I was thinking this is what God wanted, but now, oh, now I, d- I don't have the finance to do that. Or my boss has said, no, I can't do it. Or, well, I, I thought I should be here, but I can't get a job. Or a family situation's occurred, so, oh, it, it can't have been God after all. We start to look at the mountain and not God. But mountains can move when we fix our eyes on God, when we focus on God. Terry Virgo's encouragement in that video, he said, you know, people can say, oh, well, you can't do this, you can't do that. Governments can say it, councils can say it, towns can say it. And and Terry's saying, but we know someone bigger. We know someone bigger, so we're not just going to take what that person has said, oh, that's not going to happen, because God said it is. So we're going to fix our eyes on God. Betty, where's she gone? A great passage. She came in Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? Well, that's what we can do, can't we? We see this huge mountain in our way, and we're like, oh, and we're just fixed on the mountain. We're looking up to the mountain. Oh, that's a big mountain. Well, where's our help coming from? Our help's not coming from the mountain. Our help's coming from God. Our help comes from you. We look beyond the mountain. We look to Jesus. It's Jesus who can help us overcome. And so the boy is brought to Jesus, and immediately the spirit uh, that's, uh, that's plaguing him recognizes Jesus, and there's a reaction. The boy starts convulsing, and, and, and Jesus is saying, oh, so how long has this been going on? He gets more information from his father. The father says, well, it's been like this since childhood. Often the spirit tries to throw him into water or fire. It's trying to kill him. Remember, that's always the devil's aim. The devil's aim is always to kill, to destroy. We've seen it in other passages, even in Mark's gospel, where, where people are, are, are plagued by, by demons, and they're really trying to kill. The guy was slashing himself, slashing his, uh, his body, and, th- and then they, the, the demons got delivered, cast out into the pigs, and the pigs immediately went and drowned. That's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to kill. He tries to kill. Luke... Uh, in Luke 9, again, the equivalent passage, the, the man's saying a spirit seizes him and s- he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him. It's destroying him. You know, this, this spirit's been with him since childhood, and, it, and it's, it's almost constant, and it's just destroying him. It's destroying this child. All of life is being affected. All of life is being disrupted by this child. Can you imagine as the father having to watch all the time? What's going to happen? Is he going to go into a convulsion again? Is he going to run into a fire? Is he going to throw himself into water? Is he going to die? You're just constantly on guard all the time. The whole of life is being affected and disrupted. It's understandable. This man is desperate. This man is desperate. He says to Jesus, if you can do anything, because nothing else has worked. Even Jesus' disciples haven't been able to do anything. If you can do anything, take pity on us. Take pity on us and help us. And this man's at his wit's end. Sometimes problems are so overwhelming. It, it just feels like we can't keep going. It just feels like, well, we, we can't do anything. Uh, and he's come to Jesus, and Jesus wasn't there, and his disciples couldn't help but he didn't give up. He didn't put his jacket on. He didn't walk away. He stayed. He waited until Jesus came 
back down the mountain. He waited for Jesus. And Jesus replies, if you can, if you can, everything's possible for those who believe. And, and it says immediately the man responded. It sparked something in the man. He says, I do believe. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. There's a battle going on. I mean, there's a battle going on in the son. There's a demon there. There's a battle. There's a battle going on in the father. It's a battle for belief. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He said, well, I thought you believed. You, you either believe or you, or you don't. He didn't just say, oh, yeah, I do believe. I do believe. So, yes, help. He didn't say, well, I, I don't. My belief's gone. He, he was super honest. He said, I, <laughs> I believe, but I, but I don't as well. It's like I'm, I'm pulled both ways. I believe, but help my unbelief. Isn't that where so many of us are so often? We believe, but, but where we don't believe, we're saying, oh, God, help me. Help me to believe you in this situation. Like, I've believed you in these things, and I, I kind of believe. I know you are God. I know. I understand that. But right now, in this situation that I'm overwhelmed with, and it just seems to be ongoing, and it's been year after year after year, and it's, and it's overwhelming, and it's constant, actually, I'm beginning to not believe. So, God, help me overcome my unbelief. It's a battle. It's a battle. And at this, Jesus rebukes the spirit. The spirit shrieks, comes out of him, causes him to convulse as it does. It, the people think the boy's actually died, but Jesus takes him by the hand. He lifts him up, and he's free. So that's what, that's what happened. What I want to do for the rest of this message is, is really look at this battle of faith, this battle for faith, battle for belief, you could call it. It's a battle that we're all going to face if we follow Jesus. We're all going to face it. I mean, it's, it's easy to say, oh, yes, yes, I believe in Jesus. But what about when we're really up against it? What about when we're desperate? What about when nothing seems to have got better and we're worn down? We need to find faith from somewhere. We need to find faith and belief. But, you know, we, we can't just kind of drum it up. We can't just like, oh, okay, I'm going to try so much harder to believe. Because that's not what it's about. And, and we can't just pretend either. It's got to be real. Some people just pretend. I, I've met some people, and, and they kind of use this Christianese language. They sound so spiritual sometimes. And, and they, you, you talk to them about a situation that they're facing, and you know they're facing a tough time. And you say, well, how are you doing? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, it's difficult. But, but I have faith. And, and they say, and... and as though that's the end of the conversation. And, and it, it leaves you kind of thinking, okay, faith, faith, in, faith, in, faith for what? What do you have faith for? Who do, who do you have faith in? What does it even mean just to say, I have faith? I mean, what does that mean? It can almost as be as though it, we, we kind of think, well, if we say those words, if we say I've got faith, then maybe God will come through. Maybe we just need to say it. Oh, yeah, I've got faith. And you kind of think, I'm not, I'm not sure you really understand what that means. It can just be meaningless words. So let's look and see what true faith is, what true belief is. Uh, we'll look at a few different passages to help us in this. This is, a, this is a, a key passage in this. Romans 12 and verse 3. Paul says, 
Um, uh, for the grace I say to each of you, uh, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed, or distributed, however you want to say it, to each of you. Okay, the first thing to realize is faith doesn't just come from something we conjure up in and out of ourselves. Faith comes from God. It's the faith that God has given to each of you. God has given faith to each one of us, and actually he's given different levels, different measures of faith to different people. It's not something that just comes from within ourselves. So God's allotted a measure of faith of b or belief to this man. He needs to know he needs more faith. He knows he needs more faith to overcome. So he asks Jesus for it. Help me overcome my unbelief. He's asking Jesus, who is God, for more faith. That's okay. It's good, in fact. It's good to come and ask God for more faith when we need it. When we're struggling, to just actually say, God, give me faith. Give me that belief. Give me that trust in you because it's a gift from God. From the same passage, we see not only is our faith from God, it's our faith is in God. So that's kind of implicit in the passage because it says, think of yourself not too highly, but with sober judgment. In other words, bring how highly you think of yourself down a level. Think of yourself a bit more humbly in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. Because you might think it's going to be the other way around. Well, if God's given me more faith, then I'm going to be like, I can do anything. And, and Paul's saying, no, 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 don't think that way. Take it down a bit. Think of yourself more humbly, less highly of yourself, more highly of God. Often we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We think we can do things in our own strength. That's exactly what the disciples found out, wasn't it? I mean, Jesus had left them, and people were coming with problems. They wanted to see Jesus, and the disciples were like, well, Jesus isn't here, but we can sort it out. They thought more highly of themselves than they should have done. They thought they could handle it. They'd been with Jesus for quite some time. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him deliver people. They knew the words he'd spoken. They knew what he'd done. They were probably spitting in people's eyes and all sorts of things. But, but maybe they just thought they'd got to copy those things. Maybe they just thought, well, if I say those words and copy those things that Jesus did, it's going to have the same results. And it didn't work. It didn't work. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, has someone come to you and said, well, can you pray can you pray for healing? And you think, oh, okay. And, you, and you're more concerned about getting the words right. Well, what are the words that I should say here? What, what, how do I frame this prayer? How do, what do I say? Do I, do, I, do I have to touch the person on their shoulder? Do I have to touch the person on, on the part of their body that's injured, like their knee or whatever it might be, and say these things? And then, do, you know, what, what words do I have to get right? We look to try and follow a formula. Instead of coming to Jesus and saying, well, I can't, believe, I can't heal this person, but I believe you can. So will you heal them? It, it's not about getting a formula right. It's not about drumming something up in ourselves to really will ourselves to believe. Often people talk about faith and belief, but, but what it amounts to is, and boils down to is the message, believe in yourself. 
Well, just believe in yourself. Believe you can do it. That's exactly the problem that Paul was addressing here in Romans, thinking more highly than you ought. People were thinking of themselves more highly than they should instead of putting their trust in God. And for a lot of us, faith, we talk about faith, and it can be almost like this positive thinking. It's like the little engine who could. You know, that? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I know I can, I know I can. And it's like, oh, we have to persuade ourselves, we can do it, we can do it. No, we can't do it. We can't. We can't do it in and of ourselves. That's not biblical faith. That's not what Jesus is looking for here. The problem wasn't that the disciples needed something extra. The problem was they thought they had enough. They thought they had enough in and of themselves. They thought they could handle it, and they couldn't, and neither can we. That's why after the resurrection, Jesus said, I'm sending you disciples out, and I'm sending you to preach and teach the good news to all nations, to make disciples of all nations. But he said, but first, stay in the city. I'm going to send you what the Father's promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. They could have been like, okay, we're ready to go, Jesus. You've given us the commission. We're all set. And he's like, no. If you just go, even though you've been with me for three years, if you just go on your own, it's going to fail. You've got to wait. For what? You've got to be clothed with power from on high. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to be filled with the Spirit's power. We need the Spirit's power too. The Holy Spirit is freely available to us. He's been poured out. But we can just fall into the same situations. Ourselves, individually, as a church, we we just try and figure things out ourselves. We just muddle through life, try and fix our own problems. We do self-help courses. We read books, even books which claim to be Christian books. And they're all aiming to get ourselves fixed. Do this. Have this technique. Do this. Sort this thing out in your life. Make you, make, be more positive in your thinking. Be more confident in what you say. All of these things, set boundaries, whatever it might be that we have to do. And it's like, we can't do that. That's just telling us that we can fix ourselves. We can't. We can believe the hype for a while, but it won't work. We'll just get worn out. We'll just get discouraged as we try. Sometimes It's only when we realize that we can't do anything that we've got nothing in ourselves, that we turn to Jesus and we ask the Spirit to fill us and empower us. Sometimes we, we, it's only when we get to that point that we do it. We, we need to learn the lessons. We need to say, fill us, God. We need you all the time. That's why God sometimes allows us to get to a point where we're totally hopeless or desperate. You know, have you ever wondered why, why doesn't God change this situation? This is just so difficult, and it's ongoing, and it's not changing. Well, well, why does God allow you to get to that point? It's so that we, we know, for beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we can do nothing, and we're totally dependent on him. He, he brings us all to that point at some point in our lives, and if we don't learn the lesson, he keeps bringing us to that point. Because he wants to teach us total dependence on him. him. So God imparts faith to us by the Holy Spirit, How else does God impart faith? Well, actually, he he does it by ways which can seem very foolish to us. The first one is the preached word of God. He imparts faith through preaching. Preaching the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard 
through the word about Christ. So faith, we receive faith from hearing the message being preached and through the word of Christ. So the word of God that we have, the Bible, and it's preached. And we're strengthened in our belief and faith by reading this and by trusting what the word of God says and applying it to our lives. And many people today say, well, preaching, that's outdated. Well, that's been said for many years. That's nothing new, actually. People have said that for many years. Oh, well, there's other more innovative ways to communicate to people. And, oh, people learn through different styles. There's lots of different learning styles. Um, studies have been done. And, and some people don't, most people don't learn just by sitting and listening. They have to dialogue and talk and argue it out. Or they, or they have to physically get and do something. That's how we... That's how we learn things. But, but that's not what preaching is. That's not what God is doing. It's not just a, it, well, it shouldn't be just, just a, a, a talk. It shouldn't just be information being communicated. God's imparting something by his Holy Spirit through the preached word. God's always used preaching because, because what that means is, it's again, it's a complete dependence on him and not of ourselves. Preaching is infused by the power of of the Holy Spirit. When I stand up here, I might have some notes, but I know that if I'm just going to read the notes to you, not a lot is going to happen unless God comes by his Holy Spirit and, and anoints the word and speaks through the preached word of God. But it was no different in biblical times. In many places in the ancient world, there was a high value put on reasoning and argument, and Paul went from place to place and he preached. didn't really matter what the culture was, whether it was Athens or wherever, he, he preached. And, and he preached Christ. And he clearly wasn't known as a great speaker. This is what he says to the Corinthians. Some say, his letters are weighty but forceful, but in person, he's unimpressive. And his speaking amounts to nothing. This is the Apostle Paul. This is what they said. When he stood up to preach, some people were like, oh. He's not very impressive, is he? His speaking doesn't amount to anything. His speaking amounts to nothing. This is Paul, who was used to spread the gospel all around the world. Start churches. He was unimpressive. His speaking amounts to nothing. Again, to the Corinthians, who were very impressed by the superficial, by the way. Very impressed by eloquence and, and wit and all of these different things. Paul says to them, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence, they've already said that, or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing whilst I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. They could be saying, well, give us some new ideas, God, Paul. Tell us something new. Tell us something dynamic. Tell us something interesting. He's saying, I'm just preaching Christ and Christ crucified. That's my message. That's always my message. Well, you preached that last week. In some places, he stayed for two years. Christ, Christ crucified, week after week after, what? That's all I'm preaching. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. He didn't come thinking he was the man. He came in weakness. He was fearful, much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but they were with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest with men's wisdom, clever arguments, but on God's power. 
what our faith rests on. It doesn't rest on having a persuasive speaker, clever arguments. It rests on God's power. It's not about how gifted the preacher is. It's not about how entertaining they are or how skilled they are with their words and clever and, and twist, putting things together and, and coming up with five points all beginning with the same letter or whatever it might be. It's about God working miraculously through the preacher by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't make the mistake of listening online to preachers just because they're funny or just because they're controversial or any other reason other than they faithfully take the word of God and apply it to people's lives faithfully, accurately. There was a man called Martin Lloyd-Jones. Many of you will have heard about him. When he started his ministry in Wales, uh, and then he went to Westminster Chapel in, uh, in London, when he started his min ministry, there was a strong move at the time among churches they, they were very similar to today. They said, we need something to keep hold of people. We need something to get people's attention. We need, we need to, to bring people in. So they, they started doing all sorts of things, and they didn't have multimedia. So they used drama quite a lot. They would have skits and different things like that and uh, entertainment to try and keep people, uh, get people in there and focused. And, uh, and when he went and started his ministry... He did away with the church drama group. That was the first thing he did. He said, well, we're, we're closing this down. We're not having the church drama group. And uh, they had a meeting where there was, they, well, what are we going to do with the stage that we've got? We had this wooden stage. And uh, he said, use it for firewood to heat the building. <laughs> the focus is going to be on preaching. I mean, there was a lot, you can imagine, there was a lot of opposition to him. What are you talking about? Well, we love our church drama group. We love this. We love doing that. He's like, the focus is going to be on the preached word of God. A lot of opposition. But, but the church began to see miraculously people getting saved. Amazing salvations. People who were drunkard. There was one guy, was it? We heard about this last week. This is why I'm sending my mind. There was one guy, was it? He used to go, he cut his dog up or something. It was horrible. Anyway, he did all sorts of things. Miraculously getting saved. People in rages. People, people would come with their, with their beer and their whiskey and their gin and they would get saved and they, because they're not getting drunk anymore. They're giving it to Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's putting it in his cellar. He had a cellar full of alcohol. <laughs> because God was doing something powerfully in a tiny village in Wales. God uses the preached word. Because it's his spirit at work. And it's foolishness to the world. We don't want to go with that anymore, but it's foolishness. But it's God's power. And finally, prayer. God uses prayer. Well, we see this here, don't we, at the end of the passage. Prayer is really us coming to God and saying we need him. It's the same thing. It's coming to God and saying, we need you, God, to move and work in our lives. We need you to move and work in our church. We need you to move and work in our society. We're depending on you. It's expressing our dependence on him and not in ourselves. It's very much linked to faith and belief. So at the end of this passage, the disciples say to Jesus, why can't we drive this demon out? Why can't we drive this demon out? And, and Jesus said, well, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, don't misunderstand what he was saying here. He wasn't saying every time you come up to a, a, someone who's oppressed by a spirit, you have to do some detailed analysis to somehow find out, is this one of the ones that only comes out by prayer, or can we just get this out some other way? He, he wasn't, It's <laughs> not what he was saying. He was basically saying to his disciples, you couldn't drive it out. 
because you didn't pray. You couldn't drive it out because you just tried to do it in your own strength. You were relying on yourself. And you can't do that. Nothing's going to happen. In Matthew's version of the same passage, Jesus' answer is, because you have so little faith. So, but they're the same thing, really. They're connected. Well, they're very much connected. Because people who pray a lot believe God a lot. Right? So the more we pray, the more we're going to understand who God is and the more we're going to believe God. We're humbling ourselves in both of them. The two go arm in arm. It's not like when we pray, God answers prayers because we're twisting his arm. We're not like trying to persuade him. Come on, God. Come on. What? You do it. We can sometimes think that that's what it is. That, we're, that Okay, we're, we pray enough so that we earn some points with God and God's going to go, okay, I'll do it. Now, the Bible does teach us about persistence in prayer, but really it's about us coming in relationship and, and we receive everything by grace. Prayer is about communication. It's about relationship. We come to our Heavenly Father through Jesus and in his presence we ask him for everything that we need and that we are weak and can't provide. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Jesus was always praying. He would retreat. He'd find a lonely place. He'd go and pray. Jesus is pressing in to God's heart. He's understanding God's ways. There's temptations there, and he's being pulled all sorts of other ways. Come on, you can be king now. And he's like, no, but I, because I know the Father, and I'm in constant communication and communion with the Father, I'm understanding the will of the Father, and I know that's not the way. He's getting to know him and his ways. When we get to know someone, we, we get to know them by spending a lot of time with them. As we spend a lot of time with Jesus and God and conversation and talk to him, that brings us confidence. Our faith begins to grow. We're foolish if we think we can get by in the Christian life without prayer. And I think often we do think that. But we're foolish if we think that. Even Jesus needed to pray. Even Jesus needed time with his father. Now, I mean, I love our church. I love our church. I'm encouraged by so much that goes on in the church. But let me be honest. I'm a little concerned that we don't have more prayer or that we don't have more of us joining together in prayer. Maybe there's an underlying attitude that we don't need to pray together. Now, I, I've not really heard many people say this. I've heard some people say it directly, but not many. But, but I, I get it from the fact that so few people join us when we pray together. Beca and we, we have a number of opportunities. We pray on mornings, lunchtimes, and evenings. And we can hopefully fit people's schedules around those, one of those. We pray every Wednesday morning, 6.15, so before work, you can get there at the building. We pray every Wednesday lunchtime if you're in downtown. But Wednesday mornings, we get about two or three people there. Wednesday lunchtimes, about eight or ten people there. We pray every two, every other Sunday evening. We get about 20 or 30 people there. Actually, many of those are the same people. And we've got about 200 adults in this church. So that tells me, really, that even though we might say we believe in it, we're not really a church that really prays and seeks God. We're, we're possibly a church that feels we can get away without praying together. And we can't. We can't. We can't for our personal lives and we can't corporately as well. 
I mean, hear me right. I, I, I don't just want to beat, beat up on us. It's not about law. It's not about saying you must come. It's not about attendance at meetings. We're not keeping a register. It's about us truly grasping and believing something that is so foundational, so fundamental to the Christian faith. We need to pray. It's there in the whole of the Bible. Jesus died on the cross so that we could pray. He made a way that we could come into the Father's presence, so we could talk to him, so we could pray. That's one of the main reasons Jesus died, that we could have a relationship with Almighty God. And all through the Bible, we read about the importance of praying. Here's just a few verses. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have whatever we've asked of him. So it's like we're confident to come to God. Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. James 5, 15, 13. Is anyone in trouble among you? Let them pray. That's the answer. If you're in trouble, what's the answer to that? Let them pray. Matthew 26, 41. Temptation. Watch and pray. Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We all are subject to temptations. We're to pray that we don't fall into those temptations. Not just hope, but to pray. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourself to prayer being watchful and thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continually. It's there in all of the things. We can look at Acts. What happened in Acts? The early church, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, prayer. Those are the things they gave themselves to. It's pretty clear God wants us to pray. Prayer's a battle. Prayer's a battle. There's a battle going on. Battle for belief. There's a battle for prayer. It's opposed by the enemy. We can see it in this passage. Do you know what? The enemy nearly won here. The demon nearly won in this battle because the demon wasn't delivered until Jesus showed up. Because, why? The disciples were short on faith and they were short on prayer. And that was all that was needed for the demon to win. If the devil can discourage faith and if the devil can stop prayer, he wins. That's what he's trying to do. Discourage faith, stop prayer. It's the same in your life too. If the enemy discourages faith and stops you praying, he wins. Oh, he's certainly winning in, that, in your life. These are the two battle zones. Prayer is difficult. It's difficult to pray because it's contested. It's a battle. It's not easy. The, the Bible says we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world thinks prayer is foolish. Our fleshly bodies never feel like praying. Never. Unless you're different to me, but I don't think you are. Never feel like. There's always something else we'd rather spend our time doing. And the devil, and the devil spends, does everything he can to shut it down. Because that's the way he gets defeated if we pray. Only the Holy Spirit within us prompts us and empowers us to pray. So we've got we've to seek the Spirit and say, God, help us to do this. I mean, we, we, we seriously need to commit ourselves to praying together. 
more and more. I mean, pray on your own as well. But that's, for me, that's harder. I mean, it's important, but it's harder because I've got no one there to encourage me. So I can decide I'm going to start praying. I can set off and I can get distracted and then, and then no one else is there. But look, come together. We can pray. We can, we can hear each other's prayers. We can encourage each other. We need to commit ourselves to praying and overcoming obstacles. Keep asking Jesus to fight our battles rather than us struggling ourselves. Something's always going to come up, though. You've got to know that. Something will always come up. We'll decide, oh, we're going to come out. We'll come out tonight, but we'll feel more tired just before a prayer time than any other time that week. Or someone's going to get sick. Or something's going to happen. We have to press through. Because this is getting before God and confessing our need in him. We've seen so many prayers answered this last year as we've prayed as a church. But how many more will we see as we stand united and we pray together? So we're going to pray tonight. So please join us. I mean, there's a football game on, so PVR it. And we'll be tired and there's work tomorrow. So press through. Don't let the flesh and the devil defeat you. Prioritize things in your schedules. Write them in your calendar so nothing else gets slotted in. In two weeks' time, we're going to have a, a week of prayer, like we did last year. There's going to be numerous opportunities to pray together. We'll let you know when they are. Commit to joining us in it, because we'll find strength there. We will find strength there. We'll come and we'll give ourselves to Jesus. And that's a, that's a challenge for all of us. Um, and that's just the reality of it. So I, I don't want to lay heavy burdens on anyone. This is what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God says. So there we have three battles. The battle for the boy, the battle for the father, the battle for the disciples. Each of them, they needed to recognize their own helplessness. They needed to realize they had to come to Jesus in complete dependence on him, in faith and in prayer. And you know what the battles are that you're facing in your life. And we're so tempted to try and fix them ourselves. But Jesus is calling us to him in prayer. Call on him in prayer and in faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we will see the mountains in our lives move. So let's do it. Let's give ourselves to him in the ways that he calls us to. Why don't we pray together? Father God, I thank you that your ways are not our ways. God, your ways are foolishness to the world. But Lord, we embrace your ways because your ways are, are the ways of God. And Lord, as we come to you in utter dependence on you, we want to say, will you move in our lives, God? We can do nothing apart from you. Nothing. Nothing. And in you, all things are possible. So God, we gladly give ourselves to you again. Father, if there's things that I've said in this message which are not from you, Lord, forgive me, take them from people's minds. But Lord, even where there are things that you are using to gently come and say, come on to exhort, to encourage. Lord, I pray we'll receive them in faith.
and we'll come to you gladly. God, move amongst us, we pray, even now, as we, as we sing and as we worship you. Lord, just seal these things in our hearts by faith, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand and worship God together?